be the driven seeker church. And no, that's not a typo. I know you're used to hearing the word being a seeker-driven church. And the seeker-driven church is terminology that largely came about, I think, in the 80s, maybe the early 90s, this idea that we need to know our culture, we need to know their language well, we need to know their desires well, their rhythms in life, and therefore we need to show them love by let's making some sort of a, an environment in here that's just yelling, come check us out, come check us out. And you construct your worship service very clearly to give them what they're looking for and not yet to necessarily offend at this point, just kind of to, to bring them in. And then we sit back and we build big buildings and we have big productions and we wait, won't you come, won't you come, and you're ready to be the most hospitable folk you can be. And most of that I agree with. Isn't it great to know them, our mission field, and to care for them and want to show them love and speak their language and isn't it great to want them to come in and provide a comfortable opportunity for them to learn more about Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be a seeker-driven church. But I think Christ would like us to be driven seekers. Because the Father is a driven seeker. The Son is a driven seeker. The Spirit, as you're going to see today, He is driven and He is seeking. Philip is a driven seeker. And Christ would have us be way more intentional than any network marketer you've ever met. How in the world can we have taste and class and hospitality, hospitality and style? And how can we be uh, comfortable? And how can we speak truth? And how can we love? And how can we hug? But how can we get out of here so more people know our Savior? And if this is the year in which the Lord takes them home, they can be found rejoicing in heaven. That's what we're talking about today being a driven seeker church. So now let me prove it from Scripture. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go. You can underline those if you wanted to. Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went... And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, which you just read earlier. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you? About whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. 
what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Zotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Point number one, the Father, he seeks sinners. In John 4, it says, the hour is coming, the hour is here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father created you and I in his image. The Father created you and I to walk with him, to live with him, to enjoy him, to worship him, to glorify him. And the Father watches. He sees all that we do. He knows. He sees all that we think. And he hates sin with a passion. But the Father has compassion on us. This is not just something the Son does. The Father says, I can't leave them like that. I will send you, Son. I will send you and I will crush you. For we are going to save them. I am seeking sinners to worship me. Point number two. This could be the fastest sermon ever, right? The Son seeks sinners. In Luke 19 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why? Because the Son always does the will of His Father. The Son calls Himself the Creator. He made people in His image. And the Son wanted people to worship with Him, the Father. And the Son watches and the Son knows and the Son is filled with compassion. He has incredible pity as He sees what sin has done and is doing to people. And the Son has heard the Father pledge, I'm going to send you, Son. And the Son raises His hand and says, Dad, I'm going. And the Son came down. And the Son lived for us. The Son then was crucified for us. He became the man of sorrows that we could then yell, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Because the Father seeks sinners, and the Son seeks sinners. And after He lived, and after He died, and after He ascended, and while He's interceding above, praying like the great high priest that people will come, He just doesn't sit back passively and say, Wow, I hope this works. Point number three. The Spirit seeks sinners. The Father and the Son together say, Spirit, it's time for you to go down and seal the deal. It's time for you to put your closing shoes on and go finish the deal. Now, how does this work? I think you see it here. Uh, first of all, the Spirit has pursued Philip. I mean, Philip was a man who was a Jew, probably a Greek Jew. And Philip was a person who was stymied and stuck in all the ceremonialism of his day. But the Spirit sent someone to preach to Philip. And Philip heard the good news about Jesus, maybe one of the apostles. And then Philip was then affected by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved in and started dating him, started wooing him, started courting him. The Holy Spirit started affecting his insides so that he said, I, I believe. 
Philip said, I I repent. I turn from my works. I turn from my religiosity. I turn from my ceremonialism. I turn only to Christ and Christ alone. And Philip was then at that point saved. But the Spirit still wasn't done seeking. The, The Spirit moved in. And the Spirit caused Philip and many others in Samaria to start evangelizing. The Spirit is at work. The Spirit went and grabbed Philip. The Spirit then kicked Philip out of Jerusalem to Samaria. And the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were scattered and they became preachers. They became teachers. Philip himself, as we saw last week, is healing, exercising, preaching. Oh, the Spirit is working. The Spirit is seeking. And the Spirit is seeking through people like Philip. And it says many men and women believed. Many men and women were baptized. They followed. And so here is Philip. And I think at this point in his life, he's going, Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is great. I thought Jerusalem was good. I could have stayed here forever. (laughs) Didn't see myself living in Samaria. But if this is the place where God works, if this is where spirit-led revival happens, look at these people. They need a pastor. They need teachers. They're young converts. I never would have thought I could say this in a million years. I could be a happy Samaritan for the rest of my life and just pastor God's people here. But he's not given that opportunity. You know why? Because the spirit who who seeks Philip is the spirit who seeks the Samaritans is the spirit who is now seeking the Africans. And so now the spirit shows up. It says in your text, an angel. In two other places in the text, it says the spirit, the spirit. So you have a decision to make. Is the angel the spirit? Or does the Spirit use an angel? I don't know. Let's keep going. The Spirit comes to Philip and says, Arise and go. Philip's going where? We're going to a desert road. what, what, What road? The highway south of Jerusalem, the one that goes to Gaza the one that's not so traveled because it goes through the desert. It gets really hot on that road. There's not so many rest stops on that road. That's where we're going, that road, the desert. And that word for south could be translated noontime. So some have translated it, I want you to go to the south road, to the desert road, to the road not so traveled at noon. Philip could have been over here going, I thought we had something good going here, Lord. Um, How many more places would you like me to drag my family, Lord? I mean, you just kicked us out of Jerusalem. Can't we just sit here for a little while? What about these people? But Philip arises and goes. He receives new inclination from the Holy Spirit, new information. This is his call. This is a great commission under the great commission. I want you to go, and he has no clue why he's going, other than he has this Father, Son, and Spirit who are seeking sinners. They have implanted their nature in his heart. He longs to evangelize and seek sinners, and he has this idea, this movement from the Spirit, this Word of God, that he is to go. 
and so he obeys. And as he travels in that direction, he's kind of like Abraham, not quite knowing where he's going because the Lord said, I, I'm going to lead you out of your family's land to a land that I will show you. Well, at least Philip knows I'm going there, but he has no clue what he's about to see. But he doesn't question, object, negotiate, or delay. Well, as he is there, walking by faith, he's doing the next right thing, just trusting his Father, looking for divine appointments. All of a sudden, the Lord gives him more information. Go over to that chariot. Go over that chariot, it's moving. Yeah, run, go. That'd be like you going to a truck stop. And as you're going up there to use the facilities, the Lord stops you in your tracks and says, you see that 18-wheeler starting to hit the highway? Run, go. We just don't run up to 18-wheelers heading south. You as a commoner, you don't run up to royal chariots, which in this case it is, an entourage, and kind of interrupt them. But that's what the Spirit tells Philip to do. You've already seen his heart, his obedience. So the Lord impressed upon him. The Lord told him, and he did it. He obeyed the odd command. And what does he find? He finds the Lord working behind the scenes. I mean, he never would have imagined for a moment all that the Holy Spirit had already done to secure the salvation of this Ethiopian man. This man is from Africa. He's from not the modern-day nation of Ethiopia, but the older nation that was called Ethiopia. In the Old Testament, it's called Cush. Today, if you looked at the south of Egypt and the north of the Sudan, that's the general area where this man was from. He's called a court official in the queen's office. He is a treasurer. That means he's a man who is trusted. and He's called a eunuch. And that can either be taken physically, as if he had a surgery that rendered him one that was maybe more faithful to the queen and the court. Or by this point, it is true that that was used just to describe a court official, kind of a synonym for one who works and has an office. I'll let you figure that one out too. But it is interesting that it says he was a court official and he was a eunuch. And then the word eunuch is the one that keeps being used over and over again. That's kind of interesting because this is not a man who could have received the covenantal sign of God. And this is a man that, according to Deuteronomy, if that was the case that he was physically affected, is one that is permanently cast out from the people of God. He can pursue that ceremonial law all day long, but the very ceremonial law that he's pursuing to give him hope is the one that says, you can't enter the household of God. But here's this guy who's somehow dissatisfied with his religion. He's been spiritual. He's chased different things probably in his own nation, but it hasn't satisfied, and somehow he has come to a knowledge of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Could this have been through Queen Sheba who came back in that direction, or maybe from the dispersion of the Israelites, some went south? But he is so interested or made interested in the God of Israel that he now embarks on this 2,400-mile round-trip trek to Jerusalem. This is a seeker's seeker. 
He is really hungry for truth. And so this is the man of means. He, he has the means to forego his work for a while. He has the independence to forego his work, to pay for the long journey there and back, to bring his entourage and chariot with him. And even while he's there, this man purchases a personal copy of a scroll. He happens to purchase the scroll of Isaiah. And on his way back, I think he was dissatisfied by what happened in Jerusalem. I mean, how satisfying can it be if you show up and you're shown you can't enter the holy house, that the holy things of God were being stewarded by people like Annas and Caiaphas and Saul of Tarsus, and the Pharisees and the priests? How rich could that spiritual life be? And now he's traveling back, and he's either reading or having someone read to him, and he can't get it. He's reading about this man of sorrows. He's reading about this man who is going to be humbled, denied justice, like a sheep before its shearers is silent. His life is taken away from him, and he's confused. He can't figure it out. And all of a sudden, he hears from outside his chariot, What you reading? The Holy Spirit does a work here. He engages in a conversation about spiritual matters with someone that he's never met before, who's yelling up from his chariot into his 18-wheeler, what you're reading. Man says, can you understand it? You see these words? How can I, a very bright, educated, intellectually uh, well-taught man, who's climbed the social ladder, who's at the top of my game. I can't even understand this unless someone guides me. I can't understand this unless someone teaches me. Do you see the bad news of natural man? His eyes were blinded. His ears were plugged. His head couldn't comprehend. His heart wasn't sucking it in. That's the bad news. But the good news is the father the Son, and the Spirit, and Philip were seeking Him. Help had come to Him. Where? On a desert road, possibly in the middle of the day. What are the odds of that happening? How lucky was this guy? And what happens? He humbles himself, which is an act of the Spirit, invites the man to join him in his chariot and is taught. But the Spirit's still not done working. The Spirit seals the deal. Philip explains the text, makes sure his traveling companion understands the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the Spirit does his work of revival here. We've seen mass evangelism, now we see one-on-one evangelism. And his eyes are open. His heart is receptive. And he believes. How do we know he believes? Look at what he says. Philip has preached the gospel to him. Philip has probably talked about the washing that can come from the Holy Spirit that's presented in Isaiah. Philip has probably told him about Jesus who has said that we're going out into all the world and we're proclaiming the gospel and we're making disciples and we're baptizing them. And Philip is in the desert and Philip is driving and he comes upon some body of water which we have no clue how much water it was and all he knows is, I want Jesus, I want that, I want them, I see water, can't I take the sign? 
What hinders me? And that's a great phrase in the King James Version. What's, what, what can, and the answer is, nothing hinders him. We see his desire to follow the Lord and do what the Lord has commanded, his desire to partner with the church and take on the sign of baptism, and we see his desire to do it right now, and he says, what hinders me? And the apostle, or not the apostle, the deacon, Philip, looks at him and says, nothing hinders you, let's do it. They both go down into the water, water is applied to the man in some manner, and then they both come up out of the water, deacon Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's a glorious, glorious transaction. The man is now consumed with joy. This is a common thing that you see. There has been joy in Samaria. Now there's joy here. And then what happens? The story continues, which happens to be the theme of the entire Acts series. The story continues. He ends up going back to Ethiopia. And according to legend, according to historians, Irenaeus, he heads back with a new heart and a new message and becomes the most fervent missionary in the north of Africa. He becomes a church planter. Are you seeing this? The spirit who used the apostles is the spirit who used Philip, is now the spirit who uses the Ethiopian. And at the end of the text, what happens to Philip? He mysteriously finds himself in Azotus, and all the way from Azotus north to Caesarea, he keeps evangelizing. And more and more people are brought into the faith. Do you see why I call this the seeker-driven, I mean the driven seeker church? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, Philip, and the Ethiopian have got to share the good news. So four questions I'll ask as we wrap this up. What hinders you? Will you receive the good news? Maybe this is your first or second time coming. Maybe you're a child who's grown up in this church. Maybe you're on the other end of the lap and your day in a hospice house is nearer than you imagined. What hinders you today? from walking out of this building, knowing for a beyond a shadow of a doubt that you and Christ are tight, which means you and God are tight, which means hell has no possibility for you anymore, and heaven is the paradise that awaits when you go to sleep because you will not die because eternal life becomes yours. What hinders you? Today, can you see what Jesus Christ has done for you? how He created you to worship with Him, how He knows you. You can hide your sin from us, but you can't hide it from Him. And yet still He loves you and is moved with compassion towards you, and that He earned all the righteousness that you would need. He died. He took hell upon Himself because the Father poured it out on Him. And He sits here and He makes this invitation that if you will respond with faith, and repentance. And if you will turn from denying your sin, if you will turn from treating your own sin, if you will turn from thinking you can go to the church and the priest will, will treat your sin, 
If you will just run to Jesus, the only one who is the great physician and has the gospel medicine available for you, that he will immediately grant you eternal life today. What hinders you? Will you receive this good news? Will you right now call upon Jesus in your heart? If you don't feel that you can do it, would you right at the end of the service come and pray with me at the front? If that's too awkward, and I hope it wouldn't be, call me up this week or call someone else or tap the neighbor that you're sitting beside. But what hinders you? Today is the day of salvation. Come on. We don't have the water up here. We'll have it here next week for you. But come on. Come to Jesus. Will you receive the free gift of salvation? Secondly, will we boast? We sang the song, I will not boast in anything, no gift, nor power, nor treasure, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. Oh, that's, we're gonna, I, that's what I was whispering to Scott about. I've never done this in three years. But I said, please, can we call an audible? Instead of the final song, can we sing that song again? Because there's no better song to sing, and I think we're going to sing it a cappella. Because uh, I just want you to rejoice in this, Why? Why has God loved you? I mean, the atheist, he says, I need no God. The Arminian, or a lot of people that you know, that's a fancy term for people in religion who say, I kind of need God, and now I'm going to go get him. But the biblicist is the person over here who says, I need God. I can't go get him. I wouldn't go get him. I didn't go get him, but he came to me. He was the driven seeker who would not let me be. And so therefore we start boasting and we start reading more. And we see in the timeline that over here is the God who says, I know you and I see your sin, but I am for loving you. I have foreknowledge for you and I am predestinating and calling you and I'm coming to get you. And then we see him send his prophets here who start writing about the one who's coming to get you, the one who's coming to love you. And then we read the Gospels about Jesus Christ who comes and he does everything that they said he would do. And then Jesus Christ goes up into heaven and he sends the Spirit. And and the Spirit offers and says, hey, you seekers, come on. And you know what seekers go? Nope, not going to do it. But he refuses to leave you alone. And so the, the Spirit comes and he gives gifts. Of faith. He gives gifts of repentance. He causes someone to have a change of heart. And then because the Spirit is working, the man here starts going, I believe. I repent. I want Jesus. Jesus, I choose you. And then you keep learning. I thought I chose him, but I love him because he first loved me. And then you're tempted to say, well, I better keep doing enough good stuff because I don't want to lose all that stuff. But you learn more of the gospel and you start learning, I can't lose him because he'll never lose me. And it's based on his performance and not mine. And you realize that he who began a good work in you will finish the work. He who predestines is the one who glorifies and we're going to take credit. Come on, people. Oh, how the Holy Spirit's work is fantastic. My mom and dad tell funny stories. And before my mom and dad got married, my dad looked at Martha one day and said, I'm going to marry you. 
I'm going to put my shoes under your bed. I guess that's how we speak from West Virginia. But his liking mom was a little bit more at that point than mom's liking him. And I think mom's response was, I think I'll have something to say about that. Thus began the dating process, the courting process, the wooing process. He didn't dominate my mom. He didn't abuse my mom. He didn't force her to do anything. He loved her, got to know her, learned to speak her language, went to work on her heart. And there became a time when he was so good, I guess, at what he did that mom said, I do. And for the rest of her life, every single check I've ever seen her sign has been Mrs. Joseph Anthony Franks III. As she just delights in taking his name, being known as his wife. And isn't that a cool picture of maybe what the Holy Spirit does? Where the Holy Spirit sits here even with more confidence than Joe Franks III says, I'm coming to get you. You're going to be mine. To which us free willies stand over here and say, hmm, I'll have something to say about that. To which the spirit winks and says, sure. And then he goes to work. And he dates and entices and woos. And before you know it, you want him. You're choosing him. That's a picture of how the will and the sovereign will of God work together. And we're going to take credit for this? No way. We're going to boast in Jesus Christ. And we're going to boast in our theology and what we teach and what we believe. So if you're looking for a man-centered thing that gives you an applause for coming to Jesus, now we save our applause for him who brought you. And then we're going to sing as loud as we can. And then we're not going to be ashamed of the gospel. We're going to go out and boast some more. Third question, will we dream? So what does God have in mind for his kingdom? What does God have in mind for this church? God is populating the new heavens and the new earth. He is increasing the number of his bride. He is collecting people that are Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, and from the uttermost parts of the earth, even Africa. God is collecting in mass meetings and in individual conversations, and he's gathering the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the man and the woman, the red and yellow, the black and the white. Those are precious in his sight, and he is bringing them to him. He's gathering reputable, good-looking sinners, and he's gathering disreputable, really ugly-looking sinners. God is collecting ABCs, and he's collecting LGTBQs. He's collecting thieves, adulterers, murderers, pedophiles, coveters, heterosexual lusters, homosexual lusters, physically altered individuals, addicts, gluttons, disobedients, progressives, conservatives, and even arrogant Presbyterians. God is blessing the nations. He's building his multi-ethnic, multicultural choir. What will heaven be like? What is heaven like? Heaven is a collection of many different people. And their only common denominator is this. Horrible sinners saved by Jesus Christ. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done at horizon as it is in heaven? I think this is what we're praying for. Lord, you have a view of your kingdom. Can it look like that here now? Can we be a people who dream with God about the Great Commission? And can we be a people who long to say, oh my goodness, we're not about building a name for us, we're about building a name for Him, but we would like to see the Lord cause a problem here. We would like to start seeing so many people come to know Jesus that these seats are full, that we have to figure out what's next because we're not stopping dreaming about adding more disciples to the kingdom here or somewhere else. Could God grant us the desire to dream with Him about what He dreams? And then finally, will we engage? Let's listen to God's Word and do what He says. He tells us to go. So all of you have to leave here and go make disciples. Some will go to Greer. Some will go to Pickens. God may call some of you to go to another city. And God may call some of us to go to another land. But let's listen to his revelation and let's not make excuses. Let's do it. Let's be ready to be discomforted. And even though there may be this great fruitfulness going on like it was for Philip, if God tells us to get uncomfortable and do something else, let's be willing to be discomforted. Let's look for divine appointments. Keep your ear in tune with the Spirit, and maybe He'll nudge us and give us inclinations and, and lead us and say, go, go take a risk and have a conversation with that guy. And you really can walk up to the guy sitting on the wall next to Spill the Beans downtown and kind of say, okay, Lord, let's go for it. Hey, my name's Joe. And when he looks at you and goes, Ugh, get out of here. <laughs> okay, get out of there. <laughs> okay, I must have been listening to the lasagna. That wasn't your voice, Lord. But be willing to take some chances and throw some questions out there and just see the next thing the Lord might have and look for those divine appointments. Let's love with actions. Let's love with questions. And then let's do what Philip did. Teach the Word of God. And you don't have to have some special program. I once was lost, I now am found. I'm really bad, Jesus is really good. Anyone who believes can have Him. And you don't have to figure out if you've done it well enough or if He really meant it. You just throw the seed out there and watch what happens. Some people will take it quickly. They'll go away. They won't ever be back. Some people will take it quickly. They'll show up for a while. They'll go away. They may never be back. But some people may grab it and their life be changed. And you're going to boast in you? No. We're going to rejoice in the one who waters and brings it to fruition. Just do it. One day a lady criticized D.L. Moody. She didn't like his new styles and said, I don't approve of the way you're, you're evangelizing. He said, well, I don't know that I'm that good at it either. Tell me how you do it. Later replied, well, I don't. To which Moody said, well, then I like my way of doing it wrongly better than your way of not doing it at all. Just get out there and do it. Let's see what happens. Let's have this heart. Let's just tell the story. Buy books. Send social media posts. Let's just see what happens. Don't overthink your method, but don't underthink God's power. Saul of Tarsus is coming up in two weeks. No one is beyond the reach of the driven seeker. Let's do it here. Let's do it abroad. And let's go make lots of money. Seen that commercial? Let's make lots of money. 
Yeah. Go. I mean, really, go. Be a capitalist. Make profit. Invest. Bring in the hundreds of thousands and the millions. Go get it. See if God will let you have it. Why? Because God can give us generous hearts. And as he gives you money, that's more money for you to give here and elsewhere, which is more money to send out Phillips here and elsewhere, which is why we're for a while turning our offering time into testimony time, because we want you to see when you give money, it pays for people like Gordon to be able to serve and Mary Catherine to be able to serve and a facility that can be renovated and tramps that we can go. And we just want to start giving you more and more testimonies of what God is doing as you make tons of money and start giving little bits of it to him. But this is evangelism. It's part that you can play in this, but let's just do it. Sam Shoemaker said, In the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, fishers of men. We've turned the commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally, I take some fish out of your fishbowl and put them into mine. And you do the same with my boat. But we're all tending the same fish. Can we be the odd church? Can we be practitioners of evangelism? Can we see people come to know Jesus? And I end with that quote that Lindsay posted for us. Listen to the heart presented by Charles Spurgeon. Could this be our heart? If sinners be damned, if your children are damned, I'm adding that, if your co-workers are going to hell, if the hospice house is filled with people getting ready to give their last breath, if the people in your tennis team don't know Jesus, if your neighbors are coming over and drinking with you in the backyard, but they're not united with Christ, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they're going to perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. It's a matter of life and death, of joy and sorrow. Can we go old school and be a contemporary church, a modern church? Can we be cool? I'm, I'm good with that. I'd like to be cool as long as I can if I still am. Can we share the gospel? and see people come to know Christ.